0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 14 of English with Tim, the podcast where you can improve your grammar and learn to really master English vocabulary. I'm Tim Sexton, a polyglot English teacher, writer, and world traveler from the United States. I'm also author of Words for the Test, where you can learn hundreds of words and expressions for talking about data, for business, or for IELTS Task 1 academic writing. You can find Words for Numbers at patreon.com slash words for numbers. In today's episode, I'm going to talk about why people make mistakes when using English grammar. I will also mention vocabulary and pronunciation, which are more basic issues than grammar, but for the most part, I will talk about them only to the extent that they influence our spoken and written grammar. This is a topic I have already talked about in episode one, where I talked about how the first step to reducing mistakes in our grammar is to understand input, or spoken English that we listen to, and English text that we read, in detail. Understanding spoken and written English very well is necessary to speak and write correctly ourselves, but it is not a guarantee that we will make no mistakes. So in this episode, I'm going to talk about how we can avoid mistakes in our spoken and written output. If you've not already listened to the first episode, I strongly suggest you do it. It really will help you get the biggest possible benefit from today's episode. I do want to be clear about something before I get started, and that is what the goal of this episode is. There are two ways we can measure our success in creating grammatical output. The first is correctness, which is just the absence of mistakes when speaking and writing. The other measure is complexity, which is the use of a wide range of different grammatical constructions. In today's episode, I will be talking only about how to increase our correctness, and really not so much about increasing the complexity of our grammar. I will tell you now today about four concrete methods you can use to speak and write more correctly. The first, method is to make, uh, the first method to make your output more correct is to turn it back into input in order to check the individual and in- words and parts of words that you are saying for correctness. You can do this by listening to a recording of yourself or by listening to your own speech live. I suggest you start by listening to recordings of yourself. That's because just speaking in a foreign language already takes a lot of effort. Think about all the different steps involved in speaking English. First, you have to formulate the next thoughts you want to express. Then, transform those thoughts into words from a language that is not completely your own. Then, think about which order to put those foreign words in. And then finally, making your lungs, tongue, cheeks, and lips say the words you want to say. This is already four steps just to say a few words. When you listen to a recording of yourself speak You are no longer doing any of these four steps, and you can spend all of your brain power on finding mistakes in what you've said before. You can also try to listen to yourself speak and check your speech for correctness while you're still speaking. This is challenging because it needs to happen continuously and at every one of the four steps of the speech production process I mentioned earlier. In other words, you need to always be thinking about two things at the same time. I said that this is challenging, but I did not say that it's impossible. Listening to your own speech for correctness is challenging and possible, and it's also necessary if you really want to improve your grammar to the max. You can spend all day listening to recordings of yourself and finding mistakes in your speech long after you've already spoken, but the goal is to find and correct, or even better, prevent mistakes before you make them, not after. While I've been talking about the importance of listening to your own speech, you might have been thinking, wait a minute, why should I be the person who tries to find mistakes in my own speech? I'm the one who has problems with grammar, so what if I don't find mistakes? My answer to these questions is that you do know some grammar rules and that you will find some mistakes. You will also not just find mistakes, you will also start to ask useful questions about whether your speech is correct or not, and from there, you can decide what you need to learn. The second thing you need to do to make fewer mistakes in your grammar is to just speak more slowly. Remember that producing speech is a four-step process, and when you hurry any one of those four steps, you make the whole process work worse. That's why I always ask my students who are worried about their grammar to speak more slowly, and when they do it, they always make fewer mistakes. Afterwards, I ask my students how much more slowly they think that they're speaking, and they often answer that they must be speaking at something like 60% of normal speed. But in reality, I barely hear any difference in their speech speed. It seems like they're talking maybe 5% slower and are making maybe 50% fewer mistakes. Think about that for a second. Speak just a little bit slower and make half as many mistakes. That's a great result. People want to speak faster because they think it's cool, and because they think that it shows success in knowing the language, and also probably because they think that others get bored when they speak slowly. But when you see that you need to speak only a little bit uh, slower to to make far fewer mistakes, then all these worries really should disappear. Speaking more slowly sounds like an easy fix, and to some extent it is. But you do have to remember to do it. Old habits die hard, so I remind my students at the beginning of each class to speak more slowly so that they don't forget. If I don't remind them, they do forget, and they do start speaking more quickly and making more mistakes again. So, speaking slowly is a habit that you need to work on, just like any other habit that you want to build. If you can remember to do it, it does have a great impact. The third thing that you need to do to make fewer mistakes in grammar is to speak more simply use simpler words and shorter phrases and sentences remember that the focus of today's episode is less on inc- increasing complexity and variety and more on reducing grammar mistakes so imagine a student who can quickly and correctly formulate the question do you know in the question in the moment that the question is needed but let's look at some more complicated questions a sequence of them do you know him do you know him from work Do you know him from work or from somewhere else? Let's look at another series of questions of increasing complexity that also start with the sentence or the question, do you know? Do you know? Do you know where to buy a gift? Do you know where to buy a good gift? Do you know where to buy a good gift for my friend? Do you know where to buy a good gift for my friend who loves traveling? Do you know where to buy a good gift for my friend who loves traveling to faraway places? So, each question after the simple first question of do you know adds another construction, and even if this student knows each of these constructions well, each one of them added to the base question increases the probability that the student will formulate it incorrectly. The key for students and teachers is to find a level of complexity that students are comfortable with and build on it, adding just one element at a time. I've seen in real life a lot of situations where someone knows a construction, but only consistently and correctly uses it when the rest of what they're saying is relatively simple. Let me give an example. People whose native languages don't use the common verb be in the same way that English does often forget to use be when it's needed. Some languages that fit this description are Arabic, Russian, Chinese, Korean, and Japanese. People who speak these languages often say things like, books on table, instead of the correct, the books are on the table. Most of the students over the years that I've had have been from Russia, and I've heard many people say things like, books on table. I've also heard many Russian-speaking students correctly and spontaneously use the verb "be" in a simple sentence like, the books are on the table, but forget to use "be" in a more complicated sentence like, the best things about living in the country are the quiet and the fresh air. So, the added burden of formulating and speaking a complex sentence means that the speaker's brain has less energy left over for checking mistakes. This is a basic principle. Even if you stop making a particular mistake in 99% of cases when your language is at one level... When you add complexity to your language by adding longer constructions made of elements that you already know, and by adding other elements like new words and expressions, then that same mistake that you thought you had eliminated is likely to come back. It's a completely normal phenomenon and not something to get upset over, although it is honestly kind of naturally frustrating. Just try to keep that in mind. As things get more complicated, older problems tend to come back or rather appear in a new context. So early in this me- earlier in this episode, I mentioned two aspects of grammar, correctness and complexity. I focused on correctness because it's the more important of the two. I think you can now see why. There's one last thing I want to talk about that students need to do to reduce their grammar mistakes. That is to make sure that they can uh, actually correctly pronounce the words and especially the endings of the words they need to say. I'm putting this uh, this thing last because it's really important and it's also easily forgotten I didn't notice this until twenty twenty one when I'd already been teaching for sixteen years uh, for sixteen years A few years ago, I had a student named Irina and when she started classes with me, she needed to start using the past tense in her speech more often. We did exercises specifically about using the past simple ones where we spent the entire exercise using only that tense. That meant that, in principle, she was paying a lot of attention to whether she was using the past tense or not, and yet she often did not put the past tense endings on regular verbs. I asked her why she kept forgetting to use the past tense endings, and she said that she was completely sure that she was, in fact, using the endings. We were both very surprised about the situation and the other person's reaction to it, both as teacher-to-student and student-to-teacher. The actual problem was that she just had a hard time saying the D or T ending on some verbs. She wanted to say fixed, but said fix because the consonant cluster, xst was hard for her to say. Watched was also hard to say for her. In Russian, there are words that contain the cluster T, or CHT if we put them all together, but this cluster is used in only a few words and is never used at the end of words. Also hard was the specific word stopped. Russian has the cluster pt or pt, but again, this pt Cluster is not at the end of words. It's generally in the beginning of words and sometimes in the middle. The solution to all of these problems was for her to work on the pronunciation of these words until she could say them easily because, in fact, she knew that she should be saying them and she was trying to say them. Her mouth just couldn't do the work until we practiced. So, with a few difficult words, she just needed um, some practice. And in a few cases, she actually needed to practice for even more than a month. That is actually a really normal thing that you need to do. Um, There are a couple more things that we need to talk about. Um, There are two general mechanisms for learning grammar, and I've already hinted at both of them. These two mechanisms are memorization and analysis, and you need to use both to get the best results. Both of them have the same goal, to help us learn the principles of grammar. Each one has strong and weak points. Let's start with memorization. Memorization is used much more often to learn vocabulary than it is to learn grammar, but we can and should use it to learn grammar. Memorization works best for sentences that we know will be used often, like, Where are you from? I don't know. And, Can you help me? You probably learned sentences like these without ever analyzing why they're correct, why we use this auxiliary verb and not that one, why the words are in a particular order, and so on. You just learned the sentences and started using them without ever talking about grammar. This raises some questions. Can we just keep memorizing and never talk about grammar? Can we just uh, use and build on these early correct examples and never refer to grammar at all? Some will answer this question by saying that if we memorize many thousands of sentences, then we will start to understand and then automatically apply grammatical principles by brute, raw empirical force. We will, these people say, begin to understand the the principles of grammar on an unconscious level, level and never need to talk about grammar. I think that memory I personally think that memorization of large numbers of sentences helps students learn grammar but I've also seen cases where students become very confused very early when they're still beginners by certain sentences I have in these cases added more sentences similar to the ones that the students found confusing and it didn't help even though they had more examples at least It didn't help in the time frame that I wanted to see success. Maybe if I had continued to just give more and more similar sentences with similar constructions, the problem would have been solved, but maybe not. What in fact happened was that I explained why these difficult sentences were correct, and shortly afterwards my students stopped thinking of these sentences as being difficult or problematic. So what type of sentences were problematic in the first place? There were about six things that could make a sentence difficult. First was that there were sentences where parts of speech didn't match up. For example, in English we say that someone is late. Someone is late, whereas in Russian they say that someone lates. In other words, in Russian, late is a verb. This situation is not super common, but it's also definitely not rare, and I can suppose that it becomes more common when we're talking about language pairs like Korean and English, where the languages have really no common roots. Two, sentences with B were problematic, except for ones which were in the continuous tenses. Because people don't always understand what B is for, they often not only forget to use it when it was needed, but they also put it in places where it didn't need to be. For example, they would say things like, um, I am not know that instead of I don't know that, which sounds really weird. Three, This, in turn, meant that people had a hard time making questions because they didn't know when to say do and when to say be. Fourth, for the same reason, people also had a hard time making negative statements correctly. They would say things like, Do you hungry? Or, Are you want something to eat? Fifth, people also had a hard time with subject questions, ones like, Who took my pizza? Where we don't know who did the action. Sixth, Sentences with words that can have lots of different meanings like it, can, have, get, some, or at. Actually, it's worth going through this list again really quickly. Sentences with mismatched parts of speech. Sentences with be. Sentences without be. All types of questions. Negations. Sentences with common words like it, can, have, get, some, and at. This is, in fact, a lot of very common types of sentences. You could argue that these problems come from not understanding basic words, and so that the problem is with input rather than output. And indeed, you would be right, but the problem is still there. We need to explain what basic words mean. I mean, come on. If you think of the the, the number of sentences that we're talking about, look, we've got sentences with B, sentences without B. Um, that basically just there covers almost everything that comes out of people's mouths. Um... People have to understand what these individual words mean, and we need to analyze these um, sentences on um, the level of patterns and not just, well, let's memorize the sentence and just think that it's correct. So, enough talk about using just memorization. How about using analysis, just analysis? Well, I've seen this method used over many years because it is the standard method used these days in classrooms and textbooks. Basically, this is how um, it works. A teacher gives students a grammar rule, hopefully asks the students some questions to make sure that they really understand the rule. And then there's some practice with the rule in a controlled way to make sure students know how to apply the rule. And finally, there is some free practice and then correction. I've seen people succeed using this, met- this method, especially when they are lucky enough to use it a lot because they purchased and attended a large number of classroom hours. And I've also seen people do less well with it, and not always because they didn't have enough classroom hours. There are also surely people who use this method on their own using books or websites or apps, but those aren't necessarily the kind of people I meet, so my perspective on how well the analytic method works outside the classroom is a bit limited. On a very basic level, though, I do need to say that the analytic method has a lot of appeal because it teaches us patterns, aspects of language that repeat in many different words, phrases, and sentences. So, what approach do I suggest for people who want to improve their grammar? Well, I suggest you do the following. First, pay close attention to the details of what you hear and read and ask questions about anything and everything that you don't understand. I already talked about this in the first episode. Second, I suggest that you try to memorize large numbers of correct example phrases and sentences, and that when you don't understand something in one of them, you ask someone why a sentence is constructed in this way and not another one. Because if something doesn't make sense, you won't understand it and you won't remember it. So that is all for today. Please share in the comments below what you think about today's episode. Tell us what you think of learning by memorization or analysis. And thanks again for listening. See you next week.